Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Hey, this is David. And this is Tracy. And like you, we have made Vows to Keep. I don't know about you, Tracy, but I remember being a kid looking forward to what was I going to do with the rest of my life. And like many kids, I was looking at ways that I might follow in my parents' footsteps. This is true for many kids. Doctors' children become doctors. Lawyers produce lawyers and plumbers beget plumbers. And this is because we follow what we know. The son who picks up the father's business makes his father proud. Think of it as a transmission of legacy from one generation to the next. But you know what? This goes as much for the good as it does for the bad. This was first documented in the 1940s when Harvard Law School found that two-thirds of the kids that were in the Boston area reformatory sent there by a court had a father who had been arrested and 45% had a mother who had been arrested. And in 2007, the Justice Department Bureau of Statistics concluded that roughly Half of the 800,000 parents behind bars have a close relative who have been previously incarcerated. Legacy is as much a part of your marriage history as it is directing your marriage future. And God designed it that way. Legacy is the subject of our broadcast today. In Titus 2, 1 through 8, we see a word to husbands and wives about this topic of legacy. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The scripture that I just read shows us how to live to leave a godly legacy behind. But legacy for many people is only something they consider right before they die. After all, they say happily ever after depends on where you stop the story. Legacy is happening. And there's nothing that we can do to prevent it. Legacy is a product of your investment. Legacy is a result of things that you've done with your life. So if you're taking notes on today's broadcast, we're going to be framing it out with three truths. The first is our legacy tells the truth with hindsight, but we generally never see it until it's too late. The second is God allows our sins to be revealed to other people to provide a course correction. Why? Because God gives us a chance at redeeming our legacy. And this is where your marriage comes in. Your spouse is in the best position to give you an accurate representation of your legacy. Because so often we are, in fact, blind to it. And the third point is that God defines someone's legacy through his word. Knowing it now allows you to set a course to achieve a legacy which pleases God, but also defies the world's view of legacy. So let's dive into truth number one today. Legacy is often invisible to us until it's too late to change it. This isn't something that's just affecting you and I. Let's look at God's word right now for another example. 1 Samuel 16, 
Listen to this story. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Remember that Israel chose Saul as their first king. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So you think about legacy, Tracy. This story is really about a man named David who's been called by God into a position of authority. And it would seem as though his legacy is pretty much guaranteed at this point. Because as king, he could literally have anything he wanted. Let's read in 2 Samuel. This is found in chapter 11. It says, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah? So here's David facing a position just like you and I do all the time, looking at something with a temporary desire Not looking at where God called us. Not looking at what is the direction God has sent us on. No, we're looking at what we want today. I say this because having a godly legacy tomorrow is likely to cost you something in your own eyes and even in the world's eyes today. Controlling our lustful desires is a way of acknowledging that God will provide abundantly within your marriage. And at the same time, that doing something that goes against God's will is going to come at such a high cost, not only for us personally, but for those that are looking at us as part of their future direction. We're like David. A lot of times we don't have the wisdom to see what's coming down the road. He wasn't thinking about legacy. He was thinking about lusts. The story goes on. So David sent messengers and took her and she came and he laid with her. She returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Imagine the shock that must have been going through not only her, but David at that moment. What David hoped to be hidden is now going to surely be seen in the light of day. Yeah, he goes from being called king to literally being called an adulterer. Still not thinking about that legacy. He's going to continue to try to cover up those sins rather than repent of them. And we see that very clearly in the next passage. So David sent the word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. 
When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going, kind of making small talk. (laughs) And then David said to Uriah, hey, go down to your house, wash your feet, go spend some time with that amazing wife of yours. This man hasn't been with his wife sexually for a long time. And David is giving him something that looks like a gift, I'm sure. But the text continues, Uriah went out of the king's house, but he slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants and did not go down to his house. Verse 10 says, when they told David that Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, hey, haven't you come from a long distance? Why didn't you go down to your house and spend that time with your wife? We'll continue in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 11. Uriah said to David, The ark and the Israel and Judah dwell in my booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? He's saying, absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. Here's Uriah. He is thinking about his legacy. He's faithful to the cause. Through Uriah, God gave David a compass, but David was unwilling to use it. He didn't even see it. This is so true in our own lives as well. God often gives us examples of faithfulness that we choose to ignore. Well, King David's plan right then and there is foiled. And at this point, David is about to take on a new legacy from adulterer to murderer. Verse 14 says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. David killed the man that could have brought charges against him for his adultery. So many of us find ourselves today where David was in this story. If the story of David stopped there, we would only know him as an adulterer and a murderer. Someone who was handed by God himself kingship, but he used it for the destruction of himself and other people. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, wait a second, you know what? I'm not killing anyone. Maybe you're not having a physical affair, but is your desire for things outside of your marriage or outside of your passion for God derailed your marriage, derailed your relationship with God. Or maybe your kids are following in your footsteps. They see you reading God's word daily, and that's what they're doing too. Maybe you've given your life to Christ. You are saved by grace, and so are all the other people in your household. You can name the days your kids were saved because you were there. Whichever direction you're headed, you have a legacy in the making. It's so true, and as we come to our second point, thankfully God allows our sins to be revealed to other people to provide a course correction when we need it. And that's because this gives us a chance at a redeemed legacy. If you have a marriage question, please email questions at vowstokeep.com. Vows to Keep will respond to you via email and perhaps use it on the air. Now let's rejoin Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. We're going to introduce someone else into this story, and his name is Nathan. Nathan was a prophet in the Bible who lived during the reign of King David in Israel. So here's Nathan. He's a member of David's royal court. And David and Nathan were long-term friends. There are three or four stories in the Bible that feature Nathan, and all of them are the most dark and emotional times in David's life. So our second point is really this. Besides God, who is in the best position to give you an accurate representation of what your legacy is. Who is a long-term friend? Who is someone who God uses to speak into your life? In my life, that's you, Tracy. And that should be the case for all of us, that our spouse would be that close. We see in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the conversation between Nathan and David. And it goes like this. The Lord said, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. 
and I gave you your house as master and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this wasn't enough, I would add much more. Why have you despised the way of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife and you've killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me. You've taken the wife of Uriah to be your wife. Now, I want you to consider for just a moment what this conversation might look like in your house. I want you to consider a conversation tonight with your spouse asking what they might be seeing of your personal legacy. What is it that you've been doing? What is it saying about who God is in your life? Be bold enough to ask and willing to hear what they have to say. And what they tell you could be at first painful to hear, but knowing that your spouse is designed to be one of your God-ordained, trusted advisors in this life, will you respond in humility or rage against their observations in continued defense of your sin. Well, let's see what David did. We can turn to Psalm 51 for David's response. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. You can see right there in the first sentence, the direction his heart is leaning. According to your abundant mercy, Lord, blot out my transgressions. Right here, he's choosing repentance. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When your spouse is honest in revealing your current legacy, we've got to be prepared with a repentant heart. What David was pursuing was pleasure for himself. But you'll notice that he rightly identifies that this offense was first and foremost against God. David was leading his people. And you, my friends, are leading people as well. Potentially people who aren't even alive yet. The verse goes on, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my inequities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners who return to you. Deliver me from the guilt, O God, of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would have given it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. So you can't go back. You can't change the legacy that's behind you. But you can do like David. You can repent and you can go forward. After David repents, we learn the story continues in such a way that God refers to David as a man after his own heart. I don't think there's anything better God could say about a person than that. You can find that in Acts 13, starting in verse 21. So how is it possible that God was able to say that about David? Because God defines someone's legacy totally unlike the world does. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, these two verses, 9 and 10. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. He's talking about false gods, false idols. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This verse only confirms what we started out by saying. We often follow in the footsteps of our family's leadership. Of course, this totally flies in the face of what the world defines legacy as. The world, I think, defines legacy 
by the size of the inheritance we leave the next generation. We just had a recent example of this in our lives. So let me take you back a few years first. So in 2001... That's Dave, a long while. It is a long time. <laughs> we stayed at a three-story log bed and breakfast on a pine-covered hilltop. Absolutely beautiful. It's the kind of scene that you'd see on the front cover of Log Home magazine. Yeah, and for the next 18 years, the couple that was running this bed and breakfast entertained some 4,000 couples as their guests. They even paid off the bed and breakfast. The problem was that although God had given them an opportunity to minister, the legacy that they were focused on building was for their own kingdom. Now, this wasn't entirely evident until January of 2019. And that's when the wife, after 54 years of marriage, filed for divorce. And she did it while she had terminal cancer that ultimately took her life three months later in March of 2019. It was at that point that it finally became clear to the husband that he had been in pursuit of an idol. And that idol was that house. His wife had had enough of serving his idol and she wanted to serve her own in those final months of her life. And it actually took the threat of losing the home in the divorce process to reveal to that husband that he was married to that house before he was to his wife. It was the home. It was the bed and breakfast. It was the amount of money that he could get out of that home and give to his children when he died. Most of us as Americans are so wrapped up in serving our own kingdom and setting up to build our kids' kingdoms that we fail at building God's kingdom. Now, this isn't something unique to this couple. In fact, many of us are familiar with the story of the rich young ruler. This is found in Matthew 19. It goes like this. A man came to Jesus and saying, teacher, what good deed do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, hey, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want eternal life, keep my commandments. And he said to him, well, which ones? And Jesus said, well, you should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You shouldn't steal. Don't bear false witness against someone else. Honor your mother and your father and love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, you know what? I'm good. I have kept all of these things. What do I lack? And Jesus says to him this, if you'd be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. We all know what happens next. The young man hears this and leaves in great sorrow because he has a lot of possessions. A legacy which glorifies God is one that trusts God for all of the provisions necessary to build God's kingdom, not ours, God's kingdom. And then that knows that a faithful, obedient servant is building treasure in heaven, not here on earth. Jesus teaches about that in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus goes on to say in just a couple verses after this, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Here's the bottom line. You cannot serve God and money. So if we want to serve God, we can't measure our success with our bank account. Okay, fine. I get it. That's not a way to measure my legacy, but the rich young ruler in Matthew 6 had in fact done a lot of good things. Why wasn't that good enough? We can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for our answer. It says, no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. 
for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Think about this for a second. The legacy that you are building upon, the legacy you are leaving for others, one day will be tested. This passage continues. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, well, he's going to suffer loss, though he himself might be saved, but only as through fire. Many of us are listening to this, and we're in a position like David was after he had this really tough conversation with Nathan. His heart is repentant, and maybe you're wondering, like he might have been, what's going to happen next, and is it worth it? Do you know that God was able to work through that illegitimate relationship with Bathsheba, and ultimately he creates the lineage that Jesus Christ comes through? It's that very union. So what might be visible as your greatest mistake could be the very thing that God enables you to serve him with. Will you let that happen? I'm reminded of some friends of ours, Bill and Janet Howard. They are on our counseling team. And they're a couple that 40 years ago was in the midst of an affair. Bill was consumed with thoughts of suicide, tormented with scars of war and the addiction of alcohol. And what seemed like the bleakest of moments, God was defining a path that they would follow to this day using their testimony of marriage, pain, and struggle to now help others, counseling others, showing them that they too can turn their legacy around, that they too can have a marriage and a family that glorifies God. That's what we're after. But our human sinful nature oftentimes is seeking glory, honor, and power for ourselves. Those are the things that will be the hay and the wood that gets burned up in the fire, the things that get tested that don't last God defines a successful legacy as people who live their lives building legacy in God's kingdom, not their own. Pursuing God, living out the truth of his word is going to be the gold, the silver, the precious stones that lay a firm foundation. Those things aren't going to burn up. Those are the things that will last. Our goal is not to leave a financial legacy for our kids. Consider, if you can, for just a second, what if you spent your retirement years and all of the assets that you had at that time serving God and building his kingdom. And you left your kids with zero financial inheritance. What you would do is leave a legacy for the Lord, something that your kids as kids as kids could emulate through their kids' lives. What are your deathbed thoughts going to be? Let's visit Paul on his deathbed. This is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I've remained faithful. But now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. We'll come before the throne one day to do something with that crown, with that reward. Listen to Revelation 4. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. You see, it all belongs to him. The glory, the power, the honor, we seek it so often for ourselves. 
So put these things into practice today from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. Let's spend the rest of our lives looking forward to the day when we will look into his eyes and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. Fiction isn't just for entertainment, even though one of my favorite things to do is read a good book. Fiction with a purpose allows you to journey with the characters and come out on the other side changed more into the image of Christ. And that's exactly what I want for you as you read my trilogy, Roots Run Deep. These historical romances are fun and fast-paced, but I also know that as you turn that last page, your heart will be changed because you'll know more deeply your Heavenly Father's heart for you. Go to VowsToKeep.com for all the details. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.